strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. As always, we appreciate you spending part of your day with us. Uh, Phoenix, not the only city struggling with homelessness. It's a problem across our country. But how it's being handled and what do the citizens believe? Um, Interesting blowback about a story I'm going to tell you. So in the city of Denver, baseball season has started. Opening day is upon us. And the city of Denver um, started to clean up homeless encampments around their stadium before opening day. Many people are upset that they've done that. It's disgraceful, and they're not trying to solve the problem, according to someone named Grant Francis with the Homeless Advocacy Group Mutual Aid Monday. They're just trying to provide some optics that make it look like they're trying to do something. Um, I, I don't under – I'll be honest. I, I'm – I am I'm way too emotionally involved in this topic sometimes because homelessness I keep telling this story but homelessness matters to me on a different level than it does for some people not because I've been homeless but I have a cousin who died homeless um but how is this a problem I I don't understand how this is a problem when the president comes to town, when the Super Bowl is in town, when there are big events that happen, when the Fiesta Bowl and the Super Bowl used to happen at Sun Devil Stadium, they would clean up Mill Avenue and areas around Tempe where homeless people were congregating and sleeping on the sidewalks. And they did that because the national media was going to be here and we wanted to put our best foot forward, just like you would do if you were having guests at your house. We all listen, we all know if you are having a big event at your home, you make sure the lawn is just right or your yard. If you have desert landscape, you make sure the home is clean on the inside. You make sure it smells good and the windows are washed and the dog is washed and put, looks like he's great. The kids are clean. Is that how you live your life every day? No. What's the problem here? The, the the issue with – this is the mindset that I think is an issue with this problem. And the mindset is this, that just because you're saying we don't like the way this looks means you're insulting to people that are homeless. That's not true. There is a responsibility to all of us. I want to help homeless people. I want to help hungry people. I will do my best to be a voice for it. To expose it, to show what we can do, to be a part of the solution. All of the things that we try to do with the Action Alliance and what I try to do personally. But I also understand that if you've got the President of the United States coming or a major event that's coming here, that when the cameras of the world are upon us, we want to put our best foot forward. That's There's nothing wrong with that. Every single one of these activists would do that in their personal life. That doesn't mean that they are ashamed of this. or ashamed. No, what it means is it isn't a good look. Look at the videos that have been coming out of San Francisco for the last year. Look at what's happening in Los Angeles. Look what's happening at the zone in downtown Phoenix. It's an eyesore. But more than that, what is it doing to the businesses down there? And how do you solve a problem? You shed light on the problem. So we've been talking about it. We know things need to get done. There are mental health issues. There are addiction issues. There are other issues that get people homeless. I've talked about them over and over again. But what's the problem with saying, got a big day in town. 
opening day, we're going to have a ton of people right there around the stadium, and we don't want this to be what other everybody sees. How is that wrong? I, I, I really, I don't understand the argument. Now, I want to go to something else that I think is clever and I think is, is very cool. There is a student, a junior at ASU, um, Alexia Robertson is her name, or Roberson. I'm sorry. I think it's pronounced Roberson. Um, there's no T in there. Um, she is standing out in front of the W.P. Carey School of Business in Tempe, and she is trying to address something called the Pitchfork Pantry to address food insecurity. She founded an overnight oats company with aim of encouraging students to prioritize breakfast and partner with the university to address food insecurity faced by college students. Um, she's majoring in food and nutrition. Um, she's an entrepreneur. She came up with the idea for a company after delivering a speech for her public speaking class about the importance of breakfast. Um, she said, when it's time to get feedback, this kinds of everyone had questions about, they just seem super interested in overnight oats. The reason why I even highlighted this in the student is here is someone that is aware of an issue. In this case, it's college kids and food insecurity. You know, not having a, you, when you're a broke college student, um, but also someone that's looking for solutions. This is where I, these are the people, whether this idea, and I don't know anything really about the idea, is an idea that the entire place, your city could run with if it pertains to other people outside of college kids. When you have someone that said, let's look at what the problems are, and we are going to go fix it. When you see a lot of these homeless uh, activist groups, not all of them, when you see some of the groups that are activists and you hear them complaining like about what Denver is doing, ask them what they're doing about homelessness. Because I can point you in the direction of organizations that are just doing something about it. They're seeing a need. And then they figure out a way to address the need and they morph those programs. You know, um, I'm going to brag about St. Vincent de Paul for a moment in the diversity. And I want to be very clear, as I always am. What you hear me say, in my opinion, on a topic is not theirs. It's mine. I'm using them as an example because I admire what they do. I am not insinuating that anybody over there necessarily agrees with the things I say because I want to separate my opinions from them, but I want to tell you what I know about them. Um, St. Vincent de Paul has so many different ways they serve this community. Um, from their retail stores um, to the the bicycle program is pretty unique that they did and amazing. They have a program where they have people that repair bicycles. So you can drop a bicycle off, donate a bicycle, an old bicycle, and they have people that work on them and they repair them using parts from here and there and making bicycles that work. And then they give them to people and they're used by people to get to job interviews and get to work. I know that sounds silly, but I will tell you that mode of transportation is a lifesaver for people. They have a place where people can come in on a daily basis and get to toiletries and things they need to survive on the streets. They also can get a shower. They can get a haircut. They can get a new set of clothing for a job interview. Imagine someone that is homeless, that looks homeless, that is trying to get out of homelessness, trying to get a job, and then looking at themselves in the mirror with, with hair that hasn't been cut in a long time. They haven't showered in a while. They're dirty. The clothes on their back are dirty. How presentable are they when looking for a job? 
these are just some of the things that they've found a need. They have a program where they have shoes for people and socks. And imagine being in this kind of heat we have in the valley in the summer times and being shoeless. And they have a program for that. They have a medical clinic for at-need families. These are not families that are homeless. These are families without health insurance, affordable health care, affordable dental care, all of this on their campuses. My point is there are organizations out there, St. Vincent de Paul being one of them, that not only identifies needs and they don't champion the government to change this and fix that. What they say is, how can we fix it? How can we go to our donors and say, here is how we can feed, clothe, house, and heal the people in our community? And that's what they do. And I want those organizations to get all the attention. Solution-based organizations. And I think they are absolutely one of them. Coming up in a moment, um, President Biden has, it looks like, some obvious changes in his energy policy. I actually agree with. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Are we starting to see some changes in the uh, the outlook or at least the plans from the White House? The White House has been under a lot of pressure, especially with gas prices uh, across the country, crippling people for a long time, setting records across the country. Now here in Arizona, because of the mixture that we use, because of the way that it is produced for this time of year, we are are seeing a very big increase in prices. Now, that is not a natural national trend necessarily, but we are certainly feeling it here in the Valley. And the people from Gas Buddy, Patrick Dahan at Gas Buddy, is saying it's going to get worse before it levels off. We're going to wait and see. And this is part of the conversation because there are federal regulations for you know fuel efficiency and for emissions from gas and we go well above and beyond that because in Arizona we don't have very good air quality which is our fault sometimes sometimes it's mother nature other times it's our neighbors around us in neighboring states but we do not have very high air quality and a matter of fact we miss some federal standards for air quality which is why we do some of the things we do but is the White House changing its policy? Uh, the Biden administration is selling oil leases and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico. Fossil fuel energy companies looking to extract oil and natural gas from U.S. waters in the Gulf of Mexico got a boost on Wednesday. They secured access to 1.6 million acres of water offered at auction. So um, is this a change in policy? Because the president said before he was elected, before he was inaugurated, and since he's been in office, no drilling, no drilling onshore, no drilling offshore, no drilling, no drilling, no drilling, and then said they're not stopping drilling. But we all knew that he was. Um, I still maintain that the number one issue from this administration, they believe the number one issue is climate change, period. End of story. Everything they do comes from that outlook. Is this a shift from that? Because it seems as if there have been some cracks. We know about the project in Alaska that they've allowed, the Willow Project, um, that has been, it has, you know, angered a lot of people that are activists on his side of the aisle. But here's an interesting story. I talked about the website Zero Hedge, which is a, a, a financial, uh, just a juggernaut of a website. It's where I get a lot of the data on uh, unemployment and GDP and all of that consumer spending. Um, 
But according to Zero Hedge, there's the headline. The implausibility of a net zero carbon energy future is now obvious. Now, this is obviously someone's opinion. Say Germany has hit a brick wall on clean energy, postponing a ban on internal combustion automobile engines. Let's start there. The state of California is going down this road right now. Um, And it is, in my opinion, a dream that they will never achieve at an expense that they will never recover from. Um, And then there's this. House GOP passes an energy package with an eye on gas prices, but the Democrats say it's dead on arrival in the Senate. The sprawling 175-page package known as the Lower Energy Cost Act would slash some environmental regulations and reinstate suspended oil and gas leases. It also would repeal parts of the landmark climate law in the Inflation Reduction Act. So um, this is the reality that people have to wrestle with, and I don't know what the best way to have this conversation is. I just give tell you, you know, I'll never get elected to an office because I would handle things differently, I think, than most people do. Um, and I probably would be av- advised against it. But um, you just got to tell people the truth because instinctively they know it. Um, the Biden administration has to admit that their policies have caused a lot of these costs to go up for the average American. But you have to explain to the average American why it's worth it and why it's necessary instead of running from it. You know, you, you can't you can't allow on your watch fuel prices to set record level. I mean, we're talking diesel and gasoline prices to set records for prices and then come back and say, look how much gas is down over a dollar per gallon over the past year. They were under three dollars a gallon for four straight years. In the previous administration, you can't run from that, nor should you. If you believe what you're doing is right, then explain that the outcomes are reasonable, that these are the only options that we have. But that's not what they're doing. And so now what we're seeing is that the president's approval rating is lower than they had ever hoped it would be. Um, In many cases, it is disastrous. It's not always that way. It fluctuates. And 2024 is right around the corner, and the president knows he's got to get those poll numbers up if he's going to run for office again. So are they giving in a little bit? Are they making these maneuvers to say, look what we did to get reelected, but going against their core principle, which is all fossil fuels are the demise of our world, not just our country, the world. And I I just think you got the American people are smarter than you give them credit for. And um, I think this is going to be a rock and a hard place situation for the White House. In a moment, uh, this is very interesting to me. So at 1035, we're going to do this. There is a report that is out that says that Arizona is number one in the death rate for COVID-19. This is something I think is very important to talk about. We haven't talked about COVID in a long time, but this now saying we've got the highest death rate in the country. Why is that? I've got numbers that are going to shock you. I will give you those numbers next. Strong Valley.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you spending some time with us. This is from Cronkite News, a very interesting story. Arizona had the highest rate of COVID-19 deaths in the nation over three years, according to a research analyst. I think Arizona is a state with inequality, some poverty, and ultimately some of the vaccination rates and behaviors didn't line up and have good outcomes. So I want to talk about this because it's something that still fascinates me. Um, I still track the numbers every week and I watch the changes and the trends and where they're going. Now, where we've been recently is we have we've been in a very good place. It's been around a 10 percent positive test rate last week. I think it was at 7 percent positive testing rates Um, this week. It was a little over 10, but we've been around that 10 percent area of, of positive tests. So when somebody goes in symptomatic and gets tested, about 10 percent or a little less than that um, are becoming back as positive tests. There were 3,258 new cases recorded last week in Arizona. But here's what's fascinating about this. The numbers are incredible. When you look at the number of uh, cases, uh, the 65 plus age group has grown. They were never they weren't necessarily the highest in infection rate. They have grown because less and less people over the age of 65 are opting for vaccinations. I'm not advocating for or against. I'm giving you data. Um, there have been, just so you understand what the numbers look like, they are number three on the list as far as infection rate goes. Actually, there would, if you look at, they're really at the uh, at number four overall in the age groups. But there have been over three hundred and thirty-two thousand cases now under the age of twenty. There are almost 500,000, 20 to 44 years old. That demographic is the highest by far with over a million confirmed cases of COVID. But here's where it changes when it comes to hospitalizations and deaths. So just for numbers sake, almost 500,000 people under the age of 20, there have been less than 7,000 hospitalizations, 6,977. Overall, since the beginning of COVID, under age of 20, there have been 81 deaths associated with COVID-19. Did they die because of COVID-19 or with COVID-19? I don't know the answer, but this is 81 of these deaths associated with COVID. So almost 500,000 with 81 deaths. There's just over 332,000 infections recorded of people over 65. So you're talking about over, what, 150,000 less. So there were 6,900 hospitalizations under 20. There's over 61,000, almost 10 times more hospitalizations. There were 81 deaths associated with COVID under the age of 20. Over 65, there have been over 24,000. So it is remarkably higher in the, in the hospitalization and death rate for older people. Far and away. So in Arizona, and we reflect other parts of the country, why are we seeing a higher death rate? Because if you look at the healthy people, the younger and healthier you are, just as comparison, the next age group up, the 20 to 44, which has absolutely by far the highest infection rate, they've only had 1,728 deaths. Over a million infections, 1,728 deaths. But that is a huge leap because under 20, it's only 81 deaths. So younger people who are what we focused on, 
as did much of the country. We focused on younger people. We shut down schools. We shut down playgrounds. We shut down parks. We told everybody outside is the best place to be. Then we shut down the places that kids went outside and played in. Um, And then people said, well, that's why the numbers were so low. That's not true because when things got reversed, the numbers are still remarkably low. Just again, back to the numbers from last week in the death totals. There were 35 deaths recorded last week attributed to COVID. 35. Zero under the age of 20. One, there were only two deaths of people under the age of 55 years old. 29 of the 35 or 82% of the deaths recorded were people over 65. My point is we went after and we we talked about kids getting vaccinated in schools and masks and, and, and all of these other things. And they were the least likely to have severe illness. And then the excuse was, well, they get older people sick. Older people are the ones that are opting not to get the vaccine, which is absolutely their right. So, I, But I've been watching these numbers for since we started. I have legal pad after legal pad every single week. And when they were doing it daily, I was updating it daily to watch the trends. There is still a 99% survival rate when you encompass everybody together. But it is almost non-existent in young people as far as death goes or hospitalization. And it is a very high number of people. If you're over 65, you have about a 20% chance of hospitalization. That's a pretty high rate, one in five. It's not even close to 1% for people under the age of 20. I say this with all due respect to the people that were doing the best they could during this time. So Arizona's done poorly with death rates. Is this uh, right away the the crowd that thought shut everything down, everybody wear three masks, stay away from each other. They say, well, it was poor policy that made this happen. Well, I will tell you that we were much more strict And for much longer than the state of Florida, where I grew up. I mean, I'm very familiar with what Florida does because I grew up there. I still have the majority of my friends and my family are still there. And I know what Florida did. I would travel back to Florida. We have a higher death rate per capita. And you can't say it's just because it's older people because there's a huge retirement community in Florida. There's got to be other factors in there. Um, I would love to find out what the real stories are. And I don't listen. I still sue people. I, I respect I respect everyone. I respect everyone. I work with people that still wear a mask. I respect it. I, I absolutely believe they have a right to do it. I don't look at them twice. I don't look at them sideways. I absolutely respect it. If you feel safer, if you think you're protecting other people, if it's something you feel that is necessary to do, God bless you. I think it's terrific. Um, I've been vaccinated and boosted, uh, but there are people that haven't. I've had people that have not been vaccinated get mad at me because I caved in and I'm a sheep and I got vaccinated and I come on the air and I fight for their right to not be vaccinated, then stay away from me and let me do what I think is right for me. But what this turned into was such a political battle over who is right and who cares and who's concerned about other people. And it shouldn't have been that way. I want to see what the real data ends up saying. And then I want to make a decision based on that.
What we're going to do in a moment is uh, we talked with Daryl Crippling. He is the president of the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association and some statistics on policing. We'll talk about what he had to say coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to invite you to join Dave Burns and Arizona Sports Promo Team this Saturday, 10 to 12 p.m. at the new Fulton Homes community. It's called Barney Farms in Queen Creek. They're hosting a two seconds is too long drowning prevention event. They'll be giving you a chance to win D-backs tickets. They'll have a live CPR demonstration from the YMCA and the Queen Creek Fire Department. Drowning is 100% preventable. Come out and learn how to keep kids safe around water. Sounds like a great event. If you're out in the East Valley, go check it out on Saturday. Um, we had an excellent conversation with Daryl Crippling. He is the um, head of the president of PLEA, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association. That is the police union that represents most of the rank and file street cops. Uh, have, there's a sergeant and lieutenants association, but the patrol officers and, and all of that, they are all – this is the largest union that represents them. Um, I've done work with their charity, charitable arm. It's called Plea Charities. Just a great group of people. And so we, we're talking about violence against cops because if you look, there are a couple of things that are, have, that are in common, I think, in a lot of these. Uh, and recently we have seen an uptick in violence against police officers. Um, uh, going back to the attack on Tyler Maldivan, Officer Maldivan, uh, Officer Maldivan hadn't even um, brandished his service weapon. It was still in its holster when he was uh, gunned down and fortunately has lived but was gunned down tragically. And you look at all of these incidents that have happened since then, unprovoked attacks against police. And I could go after time after time after time after time. What they have in common, unprovoked attacks by firearms and all done by prohibited possessors, meaning these are people that are prohibited by law from possessing firearms, and yet they still did, and they used them against cops. So I asked Daryl about this, and this is uh, where his comments about the uptick in violence. It seems like people are becoming more bold when uh, they're being contacted by the police and they're, they're pulling weapons out on us more regularly than ever in the time I can remember. So he talked. I talked to him about this disrespect or disregard for human life. There is a lot of disrespect, but you know, they, it's almost as if uh, those that are choosing to um, be criminal in their acts uh, don't care that the police are there and see them as an adversary and, and willing to, to do whatever they can to get away with their crime. And that's, you know, the other part of this that used to be such a taboo thing. It was horrible. Um, someone that attacked a police officer was seen as the worst of the worst criminal because of the authority given to law enforcement. That if you were going to do that to an authority figure, that it would um, you would attack anyone. You had no respect for anyone. And um, he did talk about being reactionary, that police react to what they're faced with. And I thought this was an excellent point. This situation has gotten to a point where the police need to be involved and we're reacting to whatever is presented to us. We don't, you know, go out there. We're not like the military where um, you proactively engage bad people in the community. We're, We're brought to a situation and we react to whatever is brought to us. How much- unfortunately, when, when someone pulls a weapon on us and is trying to kill us 
or a member of the community, we really have no other options than to protect ourselves and or the member of the community with deadly force. And this is another thing that I think is worth repeating and that 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 Daryl mentioned is that police are called to a situation. They are not proactive in the sense they are not on patrol. They are they do not attack like um, you see military outfits do. You know, a soldier's job in a war situation is to attack the enemy. You don't have to wait until you're attacked. You take the fight to the enemy. Police are called. When you dial 911, when somebody dials 911, the police are responding to an incident. And the way that they are trained is they are responding to the threat that they are facing. There is something, some people call it a ladder of force or whatever it is, but it begins with verbal commands and it goes up to and includes deadly force. And so you can jump from one rung of the ladder to the next based on the threat in front of you, but it's all what officers learn and how to respond to the level of threat you're facing. If you've got someone that's being uncooperative, they have their hands in their pockets, you don't know what's in their pockets, and you ask them, please take your hands out of your pockets. Then you tell them, take your hands out of your pockets. And then you remove their hands from their pockets. Those, that's a level that goes from there. If you're giving a lawful command that is not being obeyed, there are levels that you go to. You don't, as an officer, say to someone, take your hands out of your pockets, and they don't take their hands out of their pockets, brandish a taser, and shoot them with a taser. That's, that's not appropriate. And they learn these levels of force. And But it is fair to remind everyone that they're responding to someone else's call for them to be there. And we have gone back, and I've talked about all of these incidents that have happened from Officer Maldivan, and then there, I think there were nine officers in total that were injured at a shooting, some of them by gunfire, some by shrapnel or other means, where a guy was amb- an officer was ambushed. They, he was, there was a guy trying to lure the officer into the house It was going to shoot the officer in the head. The officer knew something was up and ended up getting shot in the shoulder and then a gun battle ensued. Um, There was a couple of occasions where two officers were on patrol following a vehicle. He led them into an ambush. There was an officer that was shot at the scene of an investigation for domestic violence where the suspect pulled up in a parking lot and just opened fire on the officer. There was an officer that was working undercover. She was ambushed by uh, an assailant in the front in the back of her undercover car. Um, She is still undergoing a lot of treatment for that and then most recently an officer that was was responding to a scene of what might have been an accident and was ambushed when she pulled up to the scene of the crash in every one of those instances it was an unsolicited unprovoked shooting of a police officer by someone that wasn't supposed to have a gun that 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 is should be the biggest concern for people they were not supposed to have the guns What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is we're going to go back to talking about the economy. GDP is lower than they thought. Unemployment is up. Are we starting to see a slowing of the economy? And if so, why? We'll talk about it next.